Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. Michelle Trosseth and Tracy Christofferson have been friends for almost a lifetime. They're also the co-founders of Missing Logic. They help health organizations and healthcare leaders combat burnout. In this conversation, they share their ideas about why burnout is such an insidious problem and what can be done about it. You're very, very welcome to the show, Tracy and Michelle. I'm delighted that you've been able to join me your evening and my morning here in Melbourne. The topic that we're going to talk about is physician burnout and how that is impacting on healthcare delivery, both at the individual patient level and also at the systemic level and how is impacting on our healthcare system. But I want to start with your personal journeys. Can you please tell us a little bit about your background? Well, thank you so much for having us on your show. This is Michelle and I'll go first and Tracy can follow. So I'm a nurse by background and we're from the United States, the state of Michigan to be exact. I started my journey in healthcare by not even wanting to be a nurse, to tell you the truth. I got pulled out of a high school class and asked, what do you think about this co-op nurses aid program? And the first words out of my mouth were, well, I don't want to be a nurse. <laughs> But it got me in the hospital and it got me, you know, I was able to see what nurses and other clinicians did. And I really fell in love with the nursing profession. And I continued on to graduate school and actually did my master's research work on nurse physician relationships. So I've always cared a great deal about how we collaborate together and the impact it had on job satisfaction and on patient outcomes. And Then I continued. I actually met Tracy in the same hospital where I worked. We collaborated in critical care. We did innovative things. And then we ended up working for a mentor of ours and we grew a professional practice framework across North America. Tracy and I did a lot of collaboration at the point of care. And we were very passionate about interprofessional collaboration. We like to say before it was cool. And before we tell you about the work we're doing today at Missing Logic, I'll pause here and have Tracy introduce herself. Well, thank you so much for having us on the show. I'm Tracy Christofferson, and my background is in respiratory therapy. So I was a respiratory therapist, and we can't talk about ourselves without talking about how Michelle and I met. And we actually met in hospital orientation over 30 years ago. And they did the stand up and shake the hand of the person behind you. That was me. And we like to say we've been shaking hands ever since. We worked together as clinicians at the point of care. As Michelle mentioned, as we kind of, like I like to say, grew up as leaders, (laughs) we worked collaboratively in that organization. And we had the privilege of being a part of the development of this professional practice framework. And I I just want to say, I think the thing that has heavily influenced us is our mentor, worked with, I had a very close relationship with a physician and that physician committed suicide. And that was what really started the whole development of this professional practice framework because she's like, how could I not know he was in pain? And we don't live, we're not working in a healthy environment. This environment has got to change. And that really was a stimulus for the work that we did with healthcare organizations across North America for many, many, many years. And uh, so that was really kind of one of the stimulus. I'm also a PhD candidate and I'm working on my dissertation, finishing that up. And I'm studying identities 
of interprofessional collaborative practice clinicians who work in shared governance councils. So I'm I'm looking at do they have a professional identity as well as an interprofessional identity so that our passion for interprofessional continues. It's fantastic that you met and connected in that way. So many stories of entrepreneurs begin like that. Met somebody, we had a sense that we were kindred spirits and it went from there. But I want to focus now on the the really difficult question of what burnout looks like. Now, you've seen a reasonable amount of this in your work. So give us some vignettes of people that you've met that you felt were exhibiting those signs and and whether they had any insight at the time that they were experiencing these things. We actually turned our attention at Missing Logic to burnout because it is a crisis. And it has been for a long time, as you know. This is not a a new issue. But really what caught Tracy and I eyes is the is the amount of suicide rates of physicians. Nurses are escalating and it was very much impacting quality of life for these clinicians that are here to serve patients every day. And so we joined as a collaborative at the National Academy of Medicine, their efforts. And then when the pandemic hit, we really started turning our eyes to the leaders because what we noticed is while the attention was on the front line, as it should be, there wasn't really anyone paying attention to the leaders within healthcare organizations. And we've seen it now catch up with them to your point. What are we seeing? They're exhausted. And there um, have been recent studies that now our leaders are looking at leaving their roles within healthcare systems. And this is a global issue. It's not just the United States. So I think that they're exhausted. They're not getting sleep. They're continuing to put everyone else before them. And we're going to see continued impact on the workforce. And we're going to see continued bad outcomes like suicide rates and depression. The stress is so high. And the tension between caring for their colleagues and then, of course, their commitment to patient care overall and the family environments, right? Everything has changed in our world, like our family environments, our work environments, and that tension that they feel between taking care of themselves and being there for their family and being there for their teams is really kind of creating, right? This, this incredible amount of stress and strain on them. And they're dealing with the highest levels of emotional stress that they've ever dealt with in their colleagues. So collectively, the clinicians are emotionally challenged to a degree that you've, they, we've never seen before. I'm fascinated by this because I've been a clinician since the late 80s. And I have an impression of what the stresses look like, uh, both as a clinician, but also as a leader. From your perspective, where do you think the tensions are? Is it to do with the way that we fund healthcare? Is it to do with the expectation of patients? Is it to do with the drive for efficiency? Is it just bad management? Where's the problem? Everywhere. (laughs) I hate to say that, but um, it's a systemic issue. Definitely, right? There's a lot of things contributing to burnout in the healthcare system itself. Um, And that has been going on for a long, long time. It's, well, think about one of the big ones is a health electronic healthcare record. Wasn't necessarily designed to um, really support the clinicians with a workflow that they can manage, you know, really well. So that's a big issue. 
how we're designed. Just you know, I think the factor that also we're here to serve. So we have this in our bones, right? It's in our DNA for many clinicians. I'm here to serve and they do everything they can to serve. And they, you know, as the saying goes, eaters, leaders eat last, clinicians eat last too. We put everything on the line because we are so passionate about what we're doing and what we're trying to do and the difference that we're trying to make. So it comes to the individual level as well. So it's a system and an individual challenge. It's not one more than the other, really. Mm -hmm. And you know, you mentioned the word tension because there are a lot of tensions. And I think it'd be helpful for your listeners to know why we even named our company Missing Logic. In the work that Tracy referred to that we did in the field for so many years, we came across the work of Dr. Barry Johnson and polarity thinking, which is really helps to reveal that not everything is a problem. There are interdependent pairs that appear opposite that are connected for a reason, for a greater purpose. Some of those are like margin and mission. You need both. But we tend to look at one as the problem. And so we go all at it, but then over time we fail. And that's why we have these reoccurring problems over and over again in in healthcare. They happen at the individual level, like caring for self and caring for others. And they happen at the organizational level. Practice and technology, Tracy mentioned the electronic health record. So what we noticed is people aren't aware of that. We're so good at problem solving as leaders and as physicians and as clinicians. That's where we go. We just want to fix it, but we never totally fix it because there's an interdependent relationship that's also there that we don't see. So we call it the missing logic in healthcare. And one of the things that we help people address with their burnout is to help them realize they it's not a problem to fix. They have to look at the different tensions in their life and then we help them manage them through our coaching program. And we help the organizations manage them at the organizational level. Yes. So I think the other thing that people want to do and to Michelle's point is right now, the tensions are so great around the burnout issue, we want to fix it. So people are just trying to do whatever they can to get that silver bullet, right? We're going to provide some education. We're going to do these incremental things, right? But there isn't a silver bullet. So many of them are, so much of it is related to these interdependencies. If we don't honor that tension and understand how it works, we're guaranteed to fail because they all work the same way. The polarities all work the same way. So once you understand that you have to actually honor (laughs) and leverage that energy, between mission and margin and taking care of self and taking care of others, then you can get a handle on that. Then you can stay in a more positive trajectory versus failing. Looking at this again through the lens of my own career and looking at what might have happened if I had allowed it to happen. And what you say is quite right. Clinicians eat last. And in fact, sometimes they don't eat at all. Uh, And, you know, I decided to quit full-time practice when I found myself having my lunch in the car in the two minutes that was left between calls. This is when in the UK NHS when I was doing house visits. And I decided that day that I wasn't put on earth to be punished. I was put on earth to do something else and took the decision to take agency and make a decision that this wasn't for me. But I know that that's not an option that's available to many others. 
And I'm also thinking back to the training years, the years when we train our doctors, we train them in punishing conditions. So if you're a junior doctor, you're told, well, you know, you really have to do a 24-hour shift to get to see all the variety of pathology that you're going to need to handle competently once you are a consultant in whatever field. All of it is nonsense, but it is written into the script. That's the way we train doctors. We train them to expect and live with punishment. Has that been your experience? Yeah, very much so. And I think that's one of the reasons we have to really change the way that we prepare health professionals. Absolutely. And it's not even human, some of the conditions that they have to go through in their training. And that's part of the issue though, too, is we don't have good role models. So we have these people teaching us and they're not good role models. And the other thing that happens is they are in academia. So they're not even practicing in the clinical world. So another big gap that Tracy and I see to your point is we have to improve the practice environment at the same time that we're improving the education. And we find there's a big divide there. And that, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done to bring those two worlds, you know, do action on both sides so that we can have a better future as well. And I do think that there's been great recognition of what you're bringing forth in academia. And there's been a lot of changes that have been made in relationship to students, how students are indoctrinated into the profession. There's been a lot of attention to that because of the increasing suicide rates. So there was a lot of attention given to that. I think there are being strides being made. Are we there? No, we're not there yet. And then COVID happened, right? So then that kind of right puts a whole monkey wrench in all the plants, right? Because now we're dealing with something on a big scale and on an extended time frame that really is causing additional challenges too. And and I have to say it's physicians, but it's also we just had a conversation with a physical therapist who's done some studying around the physical therapy students and how physical therapy students are indoctrinated and the challenges that they're having. So I think it goes across the board which puts everybody at risk, right? Because it's not just one profession, it's multiple professions that are experiencing this as well. We see, particularly in, in, among nurses, that they are almost worked to death uh, to the point where they, they then burn out and then they can't effectively do the job because what burnout does is slow you down. You, you become obsessed with details that are irrelevant and that's the sign of burnout. And I wanted to ask you about this in particular. Because 10, 15 years ago, you would have said it's clinicians, physicians, nurses who are in their 50s, 40s, and 50s who are burning out. We're seeing this even in people in their 30s and 40s. Is that your experience? Absolutely. That's Yeah, we're seeing that as well. And the younger generation isn't going to put up with what we put up with. <laughs> Thank goodness they're not. You know, it's we're we're seeing them burn out early. Uh, there's a lot of effort going on right now to onboarding, to making sure that graduates feel supported because they're leaving the profession very early. So I, we're seeing the same trends. What does it look like? So let's get down to brass tacks. How do we ensure... So I work in a medical school environment and I have the responsibility of preparing some people for the future. In this environment, what's your advice to someone like me? What do I need to do to make sure this doesn't happen to my dearest students? 
The first thing I would recommend, and I know you know this, but you have to be very intentional about it, is to really have them think about what they're doing to care for themselves personally and professionally. And we know they're under a lot of stress in medical school with their rotations, with residency. And it's really easy to let the personal side of their life go. And I think it's even helping them understand they have to keep movement in that part. What small thing can they do with their family? What can they calendar? What can they do to care for themselves? Because if they drop that completely, that's when they totally burn out. So I would have those conversations with them and have them give you their care plan. What am I doing to care for myself at this time? I would agree with that. I think that's that's critical, that they are important. They are equally as important as the work that they're doing. And without that mindset, they're always going to put themselves last. And I think the other thing, and you brought this up early on, is agency. They have agency. They always have a choice. And especially when they go out into the market, right, to work, they can choose an environment that is healthy, one that will support the life that they want. They don't have to just take what is given to them, right? Like, or what's, you know, made available to them, what offers come to them. They can choose and they can ask very specific questions to identify the environments that they want to work in. I like that very much. But I also want to ask you this question and please be completely brutally honest with me. Is a lifetime of full-time clinical work an impossible goal in this environment that we now live in? I don't think so. I don't think it's impossible, but I think you got to do your own work. So I think people, you know, the environment is tough. Yes, but we're tough too, right? And I think we do your own work and create and put your well-being first and do the things that will support you and make the choices that align with the life that you want. You can work in the environment and you can be an agent to help change happen. I think while this is one of the most incredibly difficult times of our lives and for people in these careers, it has also got holds the best opportunities. People are already talking in organizations about how to change the care model, about how they need to deliver care differently, about how this can't go on. So I think we're kind of at that crux, right? We're at this crux of change. And I think there's a lot of opportunity too. So while it's really tough to be in it, it's not impossible. And we can be great agents for that change and agents for ourselves as we move through it. Yeah, we like to say that if COVID taught us anything, it taught us we can reset. And we need to change the norms. And so I think I totally agree with Tracy. And one of the issues that clinicians and leaders struggle with is boundaries. And I think it's time to really think about how important those are for our personal lives and our professional lives. And yeah, take agency. I think the great thing about it is that millennials will do exactly that. They are not in the mindset of my generation or the generations that went before, where we would die in a ditch basically because we were asked to do that. They see that that doesn't help anybody because effectively you are not any use to anyone as a burned out individual. You're nodding vigorously. I assume you agree. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Definitely. You can't pour from an empty cup, right? And you're not your best self when you're doing that anyway. And you, you intuitively know that, but you keep moving, right? You keep trying. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So where to from here? What do you see as the future? How do you think we are going to deal with this issue? We're in a pandemic and 
burnout has never been more rife than it is now. So how do you see the next five to 10 years for healthcare? Well, we think leadership is really important because if the leaders aren't taking a stand, if the leaders aren't supporting them, you know, themselves, they're not going to be able to support the front line. We just really think that's really, really important. And that you have to throw the life ring early. Like don't wait until everyone's gone or everyone's drowned and, and gone. So intervene now. I think that's our other big thing. And I think in three to five years, if we change the norms and we do get very proactive about this, we can see a much healthier workforce and leaders thriving through this. But we can't wait until it's too late. I think the other thing is we need to look at this from in the organizations themselves. We are big proponents of frameworks and using kind of systems thinking approaches to making massive change within an organization. You can't treat these things like projects. And we talked about that a little bit. We can't just use a silver bullet, put our finger in this hole, this part of the dike and our finger over here in this. We have to really step back and look at what is needed to change the cultures of the organizations and what are the things that we can put in place to create these healthy work cultures and at the same time, do whatever we can to support the individuals that are working within those environments. And as Michelle mentioned, it really sits on the leaders. And right now we need leaders with vision. We need leaders who aren't afraid to make a change. The leaders that'll say, this can't continue and we're going to, we're going to make it we're going to make this different in the future. And they need to lead people out of it with a vision that compels them to move forward, not just, not just protect them and try to rescue them right now. While they need a lot of support, they also need leaders with vision who can say, this is where we're going to take this. It may take a while, but this is where we're headed and have that compelling vision to draw everybody forward, I think. The bottom line is it is a massive privilege to be involved in people's lives at a time when they are distressed and they're in pain or they have something happening. That's the reward. Unfortunately, generations ago, the people who owned the big house in the best street, the people who had the two cars and the three cars, who went on foreign holidays, who had the kids in the private school, were the physicians. And they did that because they were, they were either paid much better than they are now, or as generations have worn on, they have worked ungodly hours, including weekends and in theater on a Saturday night and a Sunday morning, never there to see the kids at bedtime, never on family holidays and taking their laptop and their work with them wherever they went. The job of leadership, I suppose, is to say that is not what medicine is about. That is not what you should be aspiring to, which means that we're going to see the doctors now in the cheap seats living in the modest houses, the whole attraction of medicine as a career is going to have to change, isn't it? If we are to stop this relentless burnout, you're, you're nodding. Are you agreeing with me? Yeah, I, I definitely think that has to change. And, but we have to change it too, right? We have to change and align with what matters most to us. And sometimes we lose track of that as well. So it, again, it comes back to it's a system issue and an individual issue. And we need to really adjust our expectations and our thinking about what does it mean to be a physician? What are the benefits of that? What, what, what is that contribution overall? And how does that fit within this new system that needs to be designed? We take the most creative, talented people 
and we turn them into technicians. And then we get cross when after five years of being automatons in a place that they're not functioning the way we'd like them to function or they're not treating us with the respect and the care that we know that they're capable of. We need to change that, I agree. And I think we're going to have to change the whole structure of the way healthcare is conceived for them, but also for their patients. Maybe some last words from you on that. There's a lot to change. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? There is also such hope right now. And we like to use the acronym having options present every day. And that goes back to choices. And it starts with one leader at a time, one person at a time. But if you can get that collective vision, it can it can make a difference. And I just think I think programs like yours are wonderful just to shed different ways that people are doing this and to enlighten people that um, this doesn't have to stay this way. And so I just really want to thank you for having us on the show and sharing what our experience has been and what we're hopeful about as we work with leaders and clinicians moving forward. I, I echo that. I mean, I don't think there's anything more than I can that I can add to that. And I, I think again, it's opportunity. In our hardest moments, while we're struggling, is our greatest opportunity for growth and change. And I think we're facing a lot of things that we would never have faced without the pandemic. We would never have addressed them without the pandemic. And so all these things that you mentioned, while they're true, I think now there's a, a bigger, broader light on it right? And there is more emphasis on the need to change it. Where we may have struggled even longer, I think now is the greatest opportunity because of the impact that we've seen, because of the the bright light that shined on the challenges for the physicians, the challenges in healthcare. And this is not just impacting the clinicians. This is about the people that are receiving the care. And with clinicians leaving in droves from healthcare, it puts all of us at risk. So who is going to be there to care for us? So that, again, is a big impetus for we have got to make these changes impacting all the things that you brought forth, as well as all the systemic things that we have to address. If you look at the big, hairy problems we have in the world, whether it's climate change or the pandemic or this, this whole issue of how we care for our workforce, you can either look on the half, you know, glass half full or glass half empty. I think glass half full is probably more accurate because if we are innovative, if nothing else, we as a species are extraordinarily innovative. That's why we've survived so long. And there's no question that we will find a way out of this with the help of yourself, Tracy and Michelle, in terms of this whole issue. It is fantastic that we're beginning to address this. And I thank you from the very depths of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. The Health Design Podcast, sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at the journal of healthdesign.com.